Well, today's message is going to be a Palm Sunday message, and it's entitled, Why the Donkey? Question mark. And we're going to be in John chapter 12 today, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. You know, one of the most common questions I get asked as a pastor, especially a bivocational pastor, is, well, what do you do all week when you're not working? I mean, you have the best job in the world. You only have to work one hour a week on a Sunday. And what do you do the rest of the time? You get a lot of fishing done, you get a lot of hunting done. What do you do all week? I mean, you, you don't really have anything to do except show up for church once or twice a week. And, you know, some people really wonder this because they only see, you know, the result of what we do on a Sunday. So I want to pull back the curtain a little bit um, about how I prepare my sermons during the week. And this week, it included watching videos on YouTube about donkey basketball. Now, I know many of you are starting to think, and we pay them for this, huh? Maybe I ought to have to talk with Conrad and Chris and maybe cut his payback a little bit. But let me explain. One of the first events in town that happened when Tammy and I got here last year was an event called Donkey Basketball. It was being held up at the high school. Now, we had never heard about this before. We had had no idea what this before. We're thinking, is this some cultural thing in central Wisconsin that, that means, you know, maybe some, like, older, chubby guys like me are trying to play basketball, and we're going to call it donkey basketball, or it's, maybe it's some type of charity event where people dress up in costumes and try to play basketball. We had no idea what it was. Well, Tammy got to go to it. I had to work. And she said it was one of the most hilarious things she's ever seen. Donkey basketball is just that. It is people riding donkeys around the gymnasium and playing basketball while they're riding donkeys. So people are riding these, these most stubborn animals that exist around the um, gymnasium and trying to score. And after doing some research and watching a few videos, I would have to agree that this is probably one of the funniest things you would ever want to see. And the rules seem pretty simple. You're divided into two teams, just like a basketball team with different colored helmets. There's no dribbling, so you're not trying to like dribble and guide this donkey at the same time. You can hold on to the ball, and but you have to steer the donkey, the FPM, in the back of the donkey to take a shot. Now, if the ball gets dropped, you can leave the back of your donkey, but you have to hold on to the reins and get the donkey to try to go with you to chase this ball, which does not happen very easily with a donkey. The donkey usually doesn't want to do do what you want it to do when you're on its back, much less be pulled in a certain direction. So it makes a, a very interesting game when you're watching this. And I was thinking about this as I read the scriptures describing the event of Palm Sunday, which we are celebrating here today. Jesus chose one of the most stubborn animals in existence to carry him into Jerusalem. And he chose it to carry him into Jerusalem to what would be called the Passion Week, which is the most important week for all humanity. And when I read the scriptures, I ask questions of it. I look at it and I say, well, why did Jesus come into Jerusalem during this time? Why did Jesus ride a donkey into Jerusalem? I mean, he said he was coming as a king. He said he's coming as a king of the Jews. A king should be riding a stallion. A king should be on a big white horse. <coughs> Excuse me. Or at least in a chariot. 
something that, that would proclaim who he was. But that wasn't what he did. He rolled a donkey. And that's a question I want to look at this morning as we read the biblical account of Palm Sunday from one of Jesus' closest friends, the Apostle John. So we're in John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. The next day, a great crowd that had come for the feast had heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that as we study your scripture today, that this isn't about a donkey. This is about you. And as we study this, the reason you came in on a donkey, we're going to be able to see you for who you really are. And we're going to be able to ask ourselves, have we really accepted you? We're going to be able to ask ourselves, are we really living for you? And we're going to be able to ask ourselves, are we living in such a way that when we stand before you, we will hear the words that we should covet to hear. Well done, friend and faithful. Father God, be with us this morning as we look into your word. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to spend the rest of our time together this morning answering the question, why did Jesus choose a donkey? And what did Jesus riding a donkey represent and tell us that we can use for our lives today? Well, the first thing it does is it points us to Jesus' purpose. And Jesus' purpose in entering Jerusalem, riding a donkey, was to fulfill prophecy. And this prophecy is found in Zechariah chapter 9. Some of us were which was quoted in the passage in John that we read just a few moments ago. But I'm going to read it now in its entirety. Zechariah 9, starting in verse 9, says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from and the battle bowl will be broken. He will be proclaimed peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pits. Now the first purpose of Jesus riding this donkey was to proclaim peace. And in order for under for us to understand what this peace was, we have to consider the time and the historical background that this prophecy is referring to. Now the people of Jerusalem at this time are living under Roman rule. And quite frankly, they absolutely resent living under Roman rule. It's kind of hard for us to understand this, so I'm going to put this in a, in a perspective that we would understand. Now America has been the superpower on earth early 1990s when the Soviet Union fell. There's no other nation on earth or even really a group of nations 
that could militarily stand up against us if we only took the leashes off of our military, we would clean the clock of any inch down the earth right now. But let's pretend for a moment that that changes. Let's pretend for a moment that we have kind of a red dawn scenario happen. And suddenly a, a country invades us. And now we are in occupied territory. There are enemy soldiers patrolling our streets, getting ready to squash any rebellion from the people. All of our freedoms are stripped away. These soldiers, in fact, can even come into our house if they want to. They can knock on the door and say, get out, get out, we're taking over this house. And you say, well, where am I going to leave? Not my problem, get out. If you don't get out, I'm going to shoot you and your family. Or even worse, they can come into your house and say, yeah, you guys can sleep on the floor, you're going to wait on us hand and foot. Everything you have is now ours. We're going to take your TV, we're going to take your livestock, we're going to take your food, we're going to take your son and daughters, put them in slavery, maybe go work the same mine or something. Or worse, use daughters in a way that you really wouldn't want your daughter to use one. That is the reality of what the people of Jerusalem are living with right now. This is reality of what Roman rule meant to them. However, they live with this hope of a Messiah. This Messiah is a person who will be like King David was to them. A person who would drive out foreign invaders. A person who would bring Israel back to its place as a lone world superpower. He wants to make Israel great again. Now enter Jesus. Jesus is already known as a prophet and a great teacher of the law. Jesus is the only person in Israel right now that boldly confronts religious leaders who were sold out to the Romans years ago. He even calls the governor a dog. And he, see, and he seems that he's calling for a revolution to happen. Or at least because of the, of the people wanting this earthly deliverer to rise up, that's what the people want Jesus to be, to be this kind of a Messiah. And the cries that they cry out, that, that say, Hosanna, Hosanna, they are really meaning save us. Save us, Jesus, from this earthly situation that we are living in right now under earthly rule. So when Jesus comes riding into the city, riding this donkey, their minds immediately go to this prophecy in, in Zechariah. But that's not the reason that Jesus is riding this donkey in town. Earthly comfort really has nothing to do with the next week that's going to culminate in his death for you and me. He's identifying with Zechariah's vision, and he's showing the reality of who this coming king will be. And this vision is not the vision the people have when they read the scriptures. But Jesus is going to fulfill this prophecy according to God's plan. And we have to keep that in mind as we read about the events of the Passion Week that are coming up, that is starting today. And this is important for us this morning because it reveals the multiple purposes of why Jesus was writing this donkey in town. And that purpose revealed to us in Zechariah. So let's look at a few of those purposes here. First purpose is that Jesus is righteous and he's going to bring salvation. The king is coming to rule and save people from their enemies. Indeed, he is the promised Messiah. But in this case, the enemy is not Rome. It's sin. And there's sin that is going to cause an eternal separation from God. And Jesus, by living a perfect, sinless life, is going to be able to offer himself as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. 
See, God create, they decreed that creation that the person who commits sin has to die. When Adam and Eve sinned, God killed an animal and used it to cover their nakedness. And he set up this system of animal sacrifices. That animals had to die in our place to show us the penalty and the seriousness of sin. And up until now, people of biblical history would have to bring their very choice, finest animals to the priest at least once a year as a substitutionary payment for the sin, and the priest would kill it on, on the altar. However, this system that God set up was an imperfect system because they had to do it over and over and over again. It didn't matter where they lived in Israel, they had to make this trip to Jerusalem every single year, bringing this animal with them and sacrifice it up and, and give it to the temple um, for sacrifice for their sins. But now Jesus is going to sacrifice God's justice one and for all because He Himself is a perfect sacrifice. The imperfect had to give way to the perfect in Jesus. And the reason that God had to become man, the reason that He had to come and take upon the sin of the world and pay this penalty for us is because only an infinite God who had lived as a human being perfectly could fulfill this role. And that is why Jesus is our righteous also, according to Zechariah, another purpose that Jesus fulfilled excuse me, is that Jesus was going to be gentle. He's not coming to wage war in the sense that they expect. The people expected this great military leader. They expected like a George Patton or a Norman Schwarzkopf, somebody who's going to just inspire confidence and, and, and be a man of war like David was and defeat their enemy and restore them to their place in the world and restore them to the prosperity that they need. But that isn't why Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. Jesus came as the Lamb of God. He took the very nature of a servant and died in our place. Jesus did not come to wield a sword. He did not come riding on a stallion to declare war. He gave himself as a ransom for many. And another purpose seen in Zechariah is that Jesus is going to fight the battle. Remember that we read, it said, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bowl will be broken. What this is saying is, is that this battle is not an earthly battle. You are not taking swords. You are not taking shields. You are not building all kinds of, of siege ramps. This battle is a spiritual one. And it will not be fought by earthly means. And the people alive during the time of Jesus are just like you and I. We're not any different because we have jet airplanes and cell phones. They're just like you and I. We read the scriptures very often according to how we see our world today. And this is why the very people who, who are crying right now, Hosanna, Hosanna, come and save us, our Lord, are the same people who scream, crucify him a few days later. Jesus didn't meet their expectations of a world leader who would kick the Romans back into Italy. He came to take care of a much more important and pressing matter, and that is our eternal souls. And this is why it is so important that churches don't preach a prosperity gospel. Because the prosperity gospel is really no gospel at all. We need to preach the seriousness of sin. 
We need to preach about a bloody cross. We need to live in resurrection power and fearlessly proclaim Jesus as the only way to God and the only way to heaven. That isn't to say that God isn't concerned about our physical health or our safety or our prosperity. God wants all these things for His children. But they take a very distant second to our eternal souls. And even more so, what's really important to God is that the kingdom of God goes forth in power. That's His ultimate focus. Because our security, health, prosperity, and eternal destiny will be taken care of if His kingdom comes here on earth. And that is why, and that is how, Jesus will bring peace. And the peace that Jesus brings is not an absence of earthly conflict. It's an assurance of our standing with the Father, that we are righteous, in right standing with God. For those who turn away from their life of sin and make Jesus the Lord of their lives, they will know what peace really is. And peace is the presence of Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace, dwelling within you through the Holy Spirit. Jesus will also offer hope to those held captive by sin. Talk about Zechariah and um, compared to a waterless pit. Jesus just didn't ride that donkey into Jerusalem to ensure our eternal destiny. He also declares freedom for those who are held captive by sin. When Jesus rose again, he destroyed sin's hold on you. If Jesus is your Lord, then you have the same supernatural power through the Holy Spirit to resist sin. You turn away from it. Jesus' old little brother James put it like this when he said, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. You see, God just didn't come and, and interfere in human, with humanity and just say, well, here's a whole bunch of arbitrary rules, and, and leave again and say, hey, see, I hope it sorts out. No, He's saying that these things that are enticing you they're poison to you. They're poison to your soul. They're going to lead you to be separated from me. But, don't worry. I have overcome the world. And I will fight for you if you will at least submit to me. Isn't that awesome? Those are some of the purposes for Jesus riding that donkey. So let's look at the second major thing that Jesus riding this donkey points us to. And then it gives us a glimpse into his humility. Again, a quick glimpse of what's going on here at this time. Within the biblical timeline, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, if that happened today, if, if, if a pastor or, or a Christian would go into a cemetery and there's a funeral going on there, and they walk up to the casket and give it a kick and say, get out of there! And the person opens the casket and they pop out. How long do you think it would take before independence would how long do you think before Pigeon Falls or Blair or Arcadia? A couple of minutes. It's going to spread like wildfire. Whether we have cell phones or not, whether we have social media or not, that's going to, that news will spread like wildfire. And that is what Jesus is existing in right now. Everybody has heard about Lazarus. 
And the fact that he has raised somebody from the dead feeds into this messianic expectation of this king that is going to come and restore Israel to its greatness. And Jesus could have ridden that fame straight into the palace here on earth. He could have, if he wanted to. He could have destroyed Rome. He could have set up an earthly kingdom right here on earth. And if Jesus is the Messiah that he thinks he could, that he should be, he should be riding on a horse and not a donkey if he's living up to these people's expectations of him. <coughs> Yet Jesus chose a donkey. The poor man's transformation. It showed Jesus' obedience to fulfill prophetic scripture and his humility toward the plan of the Father. And that's what that donkey teaches us, is that humility is the key to salvation. Humility shows you that you cannot come to God in pride. If we were to break it down into what it takes to be saved and become a Christian, if we broke it down into a series of truths that we have to acknowledge before God, it would look something like this. It would be having this conversation with God and us saying, God, I realize who you are. You're God, and I'm not. You're all-powerful, you're all-knowing, and you're all-present. I am not any of these things. You are a creator. And as creator, as this all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present God, you have the right and knowledge to make declarations of what is good and what is evil. You have that right, since you are perfect and good. Those judgments that you make are also perfect and good. If you say something is good, it is good. If you say something is sin or rebellion, that is what it is. And if I look at your word, the Bible, if I look in this book, and it says that some things are evil, I simply have to say amen and trust that. But when I look at this book and I realize that some of the things in it you say are evil, I have to admit that I have done that myself. There are also things that it says I should do that are good. And I have to admit that I haven't always done those things. Therefore, I'm guilty of rebellion against you, God. And God, you have declared that the penalty of rebellion, the thing that you call sin, is eternal death, separated from anything good. The Bible calls this place hell. And God, because you are perfect in all of your ways, Bible calls being holy. You have, you have, have to carry out that penalty. You have to execute that. You have to execute it and send me to hell for my sin. I deserve it. You would be right to do so. You would be right to do so from the moment of my birth to right now or before I die. Any moment, you would be right to throw me in hell for my rebellion. But, Jesus and as the perfect, infinite God, he took that punishment for me. He who was without sin became sin for me. So that I may have the righteousness, which means right standing with God. Jesus did that for me. And therefore, I ask Jesus to be my Lord. I ask Jesus to be my Savior. I ask Jesus to be my very best friend. And everything I have is yours to do with as you will. And that is humility that Jesus showed us. In obedience to the will of God, no matter what the personal consequence was to him. And the personal consequence to him was pretty severe. Think of what he had to go through. 
scourges, the beatings, hair pulled out of his head, beard ripped out, whips that tore skin off of his spine, and then crucified naked on top of a hill for everyone to see. And simply put, that's the gospel. That's what this upcoming week is all about. Furthermore, the donkey shows us and promotes Jesus' Lordship. Well, how does a donkey do that? How, how does that happen? Well, think of a few facts about donkeys. They're probably the most stubborn of any domesticated animal. And I know there's a few married people here that have said, well, you've never met my spouse. <laughs> but donkeys are the most stubborn domesticated animal. And that's what makes donkey basketball so funny. The fact that this animal that is not cooperating with you while you're trying to do it, make it do what you want it to do. And the donkey in the biblical account here in John is special in this way, that it never had a rider on it. It said it never bore a rider. And anyone here who's ever tried to ride a horse or a donkey that's never been broken or trained to have a rider, how does that usually turn out? You're on the ground. It's going to buck you off immediately. It's probably going to try to trample you or at least run away from you. And if you don't end up or don't know what you're really doing, you usually end up broken instead of that animal. Sounds like some people when you tell them that they need Jesus, doesn't it? They buck, they struggle, they kick, they scream, they might even try to trample you for telling them that they are sinners and they need a savior. And that is why salvation involves you surrendering your life. That's what this donkey is showing us, that anything under to be made to do the Master's work. You can't have Jesus plus your life. You can't have Jesus plus this little sin. You can't have Jesus plus whatever else you want to try to bring with it. It's either all Jesus or you have absolutely nothing. And that's what this donkey shows us. That even under, that under Jesus' control, even the most stubborn, resistant, and evil creature can be transformed into a vessel that Jesus can use. And I'm proof of that standing before you today. Because before 1993, I was the most stubborn, resistant, and evil creature you ever wanted before I turned my life over to Jesus. And that should give you hope today. Not only for yourself, but those who you love, those who you don't, do not know Jesus. That even how, no matter how far they're running away from God, no matter how much sin they're trying to pile up in their life, that one moment with Jesus can change all of that. Jesus can totally change the nature of the person if they will only surrender to him. And that's how the donkey shows us the power of Jesus' worship. That's how Jesus can change a person from a proud, willful, sinning, kicking sinner to a trusting and obedient Savior. It's all about who's in control. And the final point is that Palm Sunday not the last time that Jesus will ever ride into Jerusalem. He is coming soon. He's coming soon. But this time, he will not be humbly riding on a donkey. He's going to be on a horse. The same person who wrote the, the scripture that we read a few moments ago in John also wrote in Revelation when he said, I saw heaven standing open. Before me was a white horse, whose 
fighter is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads on the wine, he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, Jesus came the first time to identify with humanity, to show us the path to God. Jesus died in place for our sins and then rose to give us new life. But this verse in Revelation tells us the rest of the story. He's not returning as a suffering Savior. He's returning as a conquering king. Jesus' words in his, in his first time on this earth brought healing and life. When he comes again, those words, that sharp two-edged sword that he strikes the nations down, will bring judgment and death to those who don't submit and come to him. Jesus came in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he rode a donkey. When Jesus returns to Jerusalem again, he will be riding a white horse, followed by the armies of heaven. Andy and Jennifer, if you can come back up. So what is the takeaway? What does this mean for you and I and the rest of humanity? It means you better make peace with this king. He's not coming to negotiate with you. He's not coming to just be something else that you put up on a shelf or, or, or some celestial fire insurance. He is a king. He's not coming back to strike a deal with this earth. He's not coming back to make America great again or any other country on this earth. Jesus is coming back to rule. And he's going to accept nothing but your unconditional surrender. Palm Sunday is all about Jesus entering into the Holy City. And what we need to ask ourselves this morning is that you allow Jesus to enter into your life. Everybody close your eyes for a moment. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you would help everyone answer that question in their heart. If I let Jesus come into my heart, if I just treated him as a savior and they tried to say, well, I, I accepted Jesus when I was 14, so I'm okay now, even though I'm living a life that, that you would not approve of. I would ask you, are you actually saved? If you had to stand before God right now, if you were to call you home right now, you were to stand before him, and he said, why would I let you into my you have any other answer other than Jesus is my Savior, my Lord, my very best friend, and I have lived my best for Him. Then you will not hear those words, well done, So Father, I ask, Lord, that you just help do some heart surgery right now in the hearts of people. The time is too short for us to live sloppy Christian lives. 
the life, the time is too short for us to have another life apart from the church. It is too short to have secret lives online or, or dabble in pornography or watch the wrong things on TV that, that blaspheme your name. It's too short. 